Well, it's Christmas Eve. Are you celebrating? Are you glad you're here? Okay, all right, that was a little bit better. All right, yeah, we celebrate. It's tradition, it's family, it's food, it's all these things that we love when Christmas is here as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And of course, the real story of Christmas is documented right here in the Bible, the Word of God. And, uh, you know, we get caught up in the, the tradition and, you know, we get our presents and get the presents wrapped and all that stuff, but really what it's all about is right here for us in the Bible. And the Bible actually, which by the way makes a great Christmas present, but the Bible is the most read, most documented, most translated, most smuggled, even most shoplifted book in history, the Bible. Even shoplifters need Jesus, right? Most famous book in the Bible. And, and if you don't know much about the Bible, it's actually in two parts. The first part is called the Old Testament. And uh, that was written before the time of Christ. And actually, that was the Bible of the time of Christ. And then there's also 27 more books in the New Testament that was written during Christ's generation. And so that's the Old and the New Testament. In the New Testament... There are four, it starts with four accounts of the life of Jesus, four different guys writing about the life and times, birth and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so one of those accounts is authored by a man named Luke. Luke also wrote a sequel, which is another book of the New Testament called Acts, which is a history of the early church. Luke traveled with Paul, and he had access to eyewitness testimonies, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. And so he writes this, uh, this history for us that we could know. And we're in the process, as Mike was saying, we are preaching through, teaching through, studying through the book of Luke, and today we're at the most uh, the most famous passage regarding Christmas, and it's Luke chapter 2. I don't know how much Charlie Brown and Linus had to do with this being the most famous passage, but Linus had it down. But this is the passage that we're looking at today. And so Christmas is celebrating God's birth into the world. And the first thing we just need to cover, we just need to acknowledge, is the reality of Christmas, that it really happened, that it happened in history, at a point in history, the history of Christmas. You see, a lot of people don't want to think about that so much. They look at the Bible and the Christmas story in particular, and they kind of think, well, that's a sweet, inspiring story of a little baby born in a manger. How nice. Or, you know, they'll, they'll just kind of view it as, oh, that's a nice legend or myth that inspires hope in people, but that's not the way Luke is writing this. When relaying the birth of Jesus, he doesn't start with once upon a time. He doesn't start with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which by the way, involves a different Luke, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> no, he anchors what he's saying in history. He's documenting 
the birth of Jesus. He's not trying to write an inspiring story. He's telling us what happened at a certain point in history, and that's how he starts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, he says it this way. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. This is Octavian. That a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. See, he's salting in these details. He did the same thing in chapter 1. He will do the same thing in chapter 3. He's giving us the historical details so we could know when this happened. And by the way, the, the birth of Jesus is also documented by writers outside Scripture and also writers who weren't followers, who weren't believers in Jesus. They also have documented the birth of Christ. But we have the history of, of Christmas. The other thing that we need to acknowledge is the prophecy of Scripture. That long before Jesus was born, the Old Testament told us that was going to happen. And when, when it's Christmas time, the prophecies we tend to focus on are these. It's Isaiah 7.14, for example. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And a lot of us know Emmanuel means God with, God with us, right. And then again in Isaiah 9.6, these are the verses you see a lot of times on Christmas cards. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called, and tune into this, so this is the future Messiah, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so it's not just Isaiah, and by the way, Isaiah wrote many prophecies about Christ, these are just our favorite ones about Jesus' birth. But all uh, the other writers in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, kept pointing to the birth of Jesus. These prophecies in Isaiah were so obviously talking about this future person, Jesus, and their traditional dating you know, from internal evidence was about 700 years bef before Christ, but some scholars just read these things and they knew what happened to Jesus and they were like, there's no way this could have been, could have been written before Jesus. So they believed that, the, that Isaiah was actually written after Jesus. And some scholars believe that until about 1947. In 1947, there was a shepherd boy near the northern part of the Dead Sea and while he was shepherding his animals out of boredom, he was picking up rocks and throwing them at the mouths of caves in the bluffs around him. And when he threw one rock that sailed into the mouth of a cave, he heard a clay jar breaking. And so he climbed up to the cave and he discovered several clay jars. Later they found some in other caves too. Cylinder clay jars containing documents called the Dead Sea scrolls. And they, what they did was they carbon dated the Dead Sea Scrolls. And as they looked at that, and there were fragments of all types of scrolls from the Old Testament. There were several entire scrolls of the book of Isaiah. 
they carbon dated those to 150 to 350 BC. 150 BC to 350 BC. But they knew that that's not when they were written. That's, that's when these were written, but they knew these were copies because they saw even more ancient sources. So by the time those scholars were done trying to figure out, they decided, they came to the conclusion that Isaiah had to be written about 700 years B.C., which, by the way, is what Christians always thought in the beginning. From the internal evidence, that's what they concluded from the external evidence. And so carbon dating kind of showed that, that these prophecies were written 700 years before Jesus. Can you imagine that? And then Isaiah wasn't the only one, right? At the same time, a prophet named Micah. And, and by the way, that Isaiah who, that was written 2,700 years ago, that we got a snapshot of 2,000 years ago, same exact Isaiah that's in our Bibles today. No change. During the life of Isaiah, another prophet named Micah also wrote about 700 years before Jesus. And here's what he said. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephathra, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So here he's saying, this writer's saying, a message from God saying, hey, a ruler's coming. He'll be born in Bethlehem, the little town outside Jerusalem. And somehow he's going to be connected to eternity. You know, what is going on there? And so that's what we all know. Yeah, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But the problem was Jesus was born of Mary. Many of you know Mary was engaged to Joseph and engagement back in the first century. Israel was different than it is today that you were betrothed or engaged for maybe up to a year before you actually consummated your marriage. But legally you were married. You had to get a divorce to undo that, but you hadn't consummated the marriage yet. That was normal in that time. That's what was happening with Mary and Joseph. And then Mary is pregnant with a child from the Holy Spirit of God. And so Joseph, you know, is trying to deal with this. They're dealing with this. It's a scandal. And then, but what's the issue? They're both living not in Bethlehem, but where? Nazareth. Mary and Joseph are both in Nazareth. She's a virgin, pregnant with child, but, but it says they're gonna be born, that Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. So what does God do? God uses a worldwide, the known world, Roman census to make that happen. And, and that's what we see next, verse three in chapter two of Luke. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first, firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So everybody's traveling 
Other prophecies in the Old Testament said that Messiah would come from the line of David. Both Joseph and Mary are from the line of David. We actually have the, the genealogical records recorded for us in Scripture. Luke and Matthew do that. And so they're there, but there's no room. There's no guest room available. And so they find themselves in an animal stall. And then they lay Jesus, you know, in a manger is what's going to happen. And so they laid Jesus in a feed trough, a feed trough, which is what a manger is. And, and we think, well, that's just another detail Luke includes. But it's significant. It's actually mentioned several times. And I believe it's to emphasize the humility of Christ. He came, God in his majesty, creator of the heavens and earth, came to be a human being, but not just any human being, not a king. He, he came to be a king, but he didn't come in a kingly fashion. He came to a poor couple, born in a stall, laid in a feed trough. It emphasizes his humble birth. It also will later show, be a sign for the shepherds. So this miraculous birth happened in history. We know that from history. We know that from prophecy. But more importantly, it's how we respond. And that's, that's where I want us to really focus today. How do we respond to the real message of Christmas, the birth of Jesus? And there's really four necessary responses to this that we're going to see as we move forward in Luke chapter 2 that were true of the shepherds, but they're also necessary responses for us today. These are timeless truths that apply for all people and all time. I want you to see it. Four parts here are necessary response to God. First, the shepherds are told to fear not. Next verse is verse 8. It says, in the same region, there are some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, and here it is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, now angels are God's messengers, and the appearance of them in their majesty strikes fear into people. So the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Probably all of us have told somebody, don't be afraid, right? I mean, we've all said those words to someone, right? How many have said these words? Work with me here, yeah. And if you haven't, you probably had it said to you a lot. You know, I don't know. But yeah, we say these words, hey, don't be afraid. As a matter of fact, um, just the, within the last week or so ago, uh, one of our granddaughters, Gemma, was at our house and uh, she threw up, you know, and she seemed to be okay. She threw up. And so Pam decided to take her temperature, but we're just doing the under the arm temperature at a, at a degree or whatever. So, but man, you know, and she was kind of playing and doing okay, but come at her with the thermometer just to put under her arm. It's like, no way. She's screaming. She's scared. She doesn't want it to happen. You know, and we're like, hey, don't be afraid. You know, she's, she's yelling. And I'm thinking, there are a lot worse places a thermometer could go, you know, work with us here. And she's just yelling and just, you know, making a big fuss. But see, we, and here, and why we do, we started telling her why she didn't need to be afraid. And that's what we all do. When we tell somebody, don't be afraid, right after that, we tell them, why? 
Why don't you need to be afraid? That's exactly what the angels do when they're talking with the shepherds. They're telling them why. Why not be afraid? And then verse 10 starts this way. They say, for behold. Now, just want to stop on that phrase. For, don't be afraid, for behold. Now, behold is used a lot. Sometimes it means, hey, look, check this out. But it's also, listen, hear what I'm saying. This is important. Don't miss this. Catch this. You need this. Focus on this. Bring attention to this. And so it's not only fear not, second, hear well. Fear not, hear well. Hear well is what the angels are, are saying. Actually, it's one angel at this point is telling the shepherds, hear well. And, and sometimes in this day and age, that could be kind of tricky. Um, we have the privilege as a church to to have, we've built and, and support two orphanages in northern Thailand. I think we have a picture of the kids as they're celebrating Christmas right now. This is a recent picture that I got from Tutu. And, and, uh, and, and every year or two, I lead a team from Grace over to, to Thailand. We visit our kids. We also help refugees on the other side of Thailand, uh, on the west side. And, and so we do a, a lot of things there. But what I've noticed is I would be there and I always heard this loud animal sound that I could never identify. It actually took me like two years to identify it. So, and it would just happen randomly. And so it'd be like this, you know, I'd be talking to Tutu. Hey, how are the kids? How's this happening? And all of a sudden you hear, Cuckoo! and I'd be going, what, what was that? And every single time, they, whoever I'm talking to, usually Tutu, but she'd be like, what? And I'd make that, that loud animal noise. What was that? I didn't hear it. What are you talking about? The loud noise that just now interrupted. Nothing. All right. So then we'd be talking a little bit more. Hey, we're going to get this rice. How are we going to get this, these kilos of rice? How are we going to get these bags, you know, over to these people near the border? How's it? Cuckoo! You know, and you're talking a bit along. Cuckoo! You know, and you're like, what? Is that a monkey? You know, a bird? What is that animal? And I would always stop and ask for two years. I'd stop and ask and say, what was that? And they would always say, what, what are you talking about? That noise, the animal noise we just heard. I didn't hear it. How could you not hear that? You know, and it would, sound, it would just be in the, in the jungle, you know, around us. It was just, just happened all the time. And so finally, sometimes I noticed that they would do two or three in a row. So I, when I'd hear one next time, this is like the second year I'm there thinking about this. You know, and we're standing there and, and I'm like, okay, shh. But we were talking about, yeah, hold on for just a second. Listen, listen to the noises. Cuckoo! I mean, what was that? She said, oh, that's a bird. Anyway, how are we gonna get these things? You know, and, and so then I was thinking about that story. You know, they didn't hear it. You know, you'd be laying sleeping at three in the morning. Cuckoo! You know, you'd be like, what is that? And nobody else is stirring. No kids are waking up, no nothing. You're just like, what's going on? That's the danger of us in Christmas. We're celebrating Christmas. We're right here with Christmas. We know all about Christmas, but are we hearing the message? Because what's happened is we're so used to the, to the tradition and the family and the food and all the good things. I mean, those are good things. The danger is we're missing the main message. We don't hear it anymore. 
because we become so used to it. That's what the angels are trying to get the shepherds to understand. Listen to the message. Back to verse 10. For behold, listen up, pay attention, and then here's what you need to pay attention to, shepherds. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And we still haven't got to it. Hey, I bring you good news, a great joy. Don't sleep through this. And then, verse 11, for today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, just this phrase, Christ Lord, Christ is just the way they say Messiah. So who is this baby being born in Bethlehem is Messiah the Lord. What's weird about that is the Lord, now remember, they're in the first century and first century Jewish people at this time in history mainly didn't speak Hebrew. They mainly spoke Greek. And they spoke Greek because Alexander the Great, before Rome, had conquered the world. And so they speak Greek, like most of the countries around them. And because they had the Old Testament, the Old Testament had actually been translated into Greek, which was called the Septuagint, and we still have that today. But the Old Testament was translated into Greek so the people could understand it. Now, when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, there was a personal name for God that we call the Tetragrammaton, which is just four letters is what that means, all capitalized, that we pronounce Yahweh. But the Jewish people would never say the name of God. They thought it was too holy to say. And so when they had the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when they came to that word, they just wrote in Lord. Now we can tell that in our translations, modern translations today, because it'll say usually Lord, but the word Lord will be in all caps. Sometimes it's L with little O-R-D, but sometimes it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital T. That means, hey, that is in the text. That's the personal name of God. Now I say all that to say, when they say Messiah, the Lord, they're saying Messiah, the God. Messiah, God of the Old Testament. Messiah, creator of the universe, is what they're saying. That's what the angels are saying to these shepherds. Messiah, God, is born in a stable, laying in a feed trough, just a few miles from you. So we must hear well. What must we hear well? Well, it's the good news that brings great joy about a savior of the world. Because the question we have today is, I don't think the shepherds had this question, but the question we would have today is, well, why do I need a savior? Why is the Savior born? Why is that such good news for me? I'm doing pretty well. Well, we all need a Savior because the Word of God tells us that God has created us and he created us in his image. Apart from all other of his creation and all other life forms, God created human beings with the ability to be self-aware, self-conscious, and also think beyond themselves and have a relationship with their creator. But in order for that relationship to be free and voluntary, these human beings had to have free will, which God gave us as a gift. 
freedom. So we could choose to have a relationship with God, or if, if it's a choice, then we could choose not to. The problem is we have all used the freedom that God gave us to love him back and follow him. We've all misused it to do our own thing. That's what happened in the garden. You know, God said, hey, you have all these trees, you have this garden, you have everything you need. One rule, don't eat of that one tree. And what they do, they ate of the tree because they thought they knew better than God. Hey, they had this attitude. God, you know, you're great and everything, but I'll be calling the shots in my life. And that's what every single one of us have done. We've all rebelled against God. We've all violated his commandments. We've all done things that God says are wrong. And if you're a little fuzzy on that, go back and read the 10 commandments and figure it out. Because you won't get far, all right? Like number one should pretty much do it for all of us. Just go back and look. We've all violated God's command. And here's the problem. God is a righteous judge. And we all think, well, God's merciful. God is merciful. But God is also a righteous judge. And a righteous judge must punish wrong. But what about mercy? Well, think about it this way. If somebody broke into your house this Christmas Eve night and killed one of your children just out of brutality, and then they were caught and arrested, and then, you know, what is it, like five years from now they go to trial, I don't know how long it takes these days, but they go to trial someday and you're there waiting for them to receive the punishment of what they deserve for killing your child. What if the judge said, you know, you're guilty of that? I don't think you need any jail time. I'm a merciful judge, I'm letting you off. We'd be outraged, right? I would be. Why? Because a righteous judge must punish sin, and that's God. Well, what about God's love and God's mercy? Hang on. So we're all, we've all sinned, we all deserve punishment from God. I deserve punishment from God for my sin. And the punishment is big because who we're sinning against is the God of the universe who created us. And so the punishment that I deserve personally for my sin is an eternity in hell separated from God forever. That would be the right punishment for my personal sin. And it's the right punishment for your sins too. But God loves us, and God is merciful. So what does that mean? So God, without violating his own righteous judgment, God offers salvation, but there's only one way he could do it. He took the penalty, our personal pen penalty, he took on himself. So God exists in Father, Son, and Spirit. The Son comes to earth, is born in a manger, laid in a manger, and he grows up, and what's he here for? Mainly, he's here to voluntarily be crucified to death, tortured to death, even though he's the only person who didn't deserve to die. He dies, and he dies for our sins. But it's not everybody's sins. He dies to pay our sin penalty, but the only way we receive that gift, the only way that he dies for our sins is if we humbly admit our sin and we turn to him in faith, asking him for forgiveness. 
That's the only way his death applies to pay for our sins. And then once we've done that, Jesus has paid for our sins, and then we can't pay for our sins anymore because that wouldn't be just. That would be double jeopardy. And so we go on to have a righteous relationship with God forever. That's what God is offering to us. He paid the price. And so the message to us today is fear not. Well, why? Because there's a message. But the message, hear well. Make sure you get it. Because this message is all about how we can, third thing, make peace. Fear not. Hear well. Make peace. And we see that in chapter 12. Now this one angel is going to be joined by others. It goes this way. This will be a sign for you. One angel talking to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, a feed trough. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. There's this cosmic celebration of this announcement. Now, we've all probably heard the Jesus story before and we've gotten used to it. And so this may sound a little different because we've filled our lives with busyness and tradition and a lot of good traditions. Sometimes we miss the nuances of what these angels are proclaiming to us. It's not because a lot of people think this is glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That is not what's being said here. It's on earth peace to men of goodwill, or we don't use that, that's old 1600s language, it's peace on earth to, and that's the generic use of man, people, peace on earth to people of goodwill, or people of God's favor, or people whom God favors, or people um, with whom he is pleased. Okay, well, what's that? You see, before everybody thought, oh, this is, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill to men. And what is the peace on earth, first of all? Is that peace on earth, meaning nations don't war against nations anymore? That is not what they're talking about. Although that will come at Jesus' second coming after that, well, then what is it that he's talking about? Oh, well, that must be inner peace. No, he's not talking about inner peace, although inner peace will be the result of us having peace what he's talking about is peace with God. And so we ask, well, why do I need to have peace with God? I'm good with God. I don't need to have peace with God. No. And, and so and people sometimes ask, well, which is it? Because verse 10 says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. But you're saying, verse 14 says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Is, God, is this good for everybody or is this good for some people? The news is joyful good news for everyone. But the only people who benefit from this news are people with whom God's favor rests, with whom God is pleased. Good news for all? Some benefit, but God offers it to everyone. 
But then why, why would we need to have peace with God? Well, because as we read in the Bible, because God created us with this free will, we've all turned against God. We've all rebelled against him. For example, in Romans, it tells us, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. We're at war with God. In our natural life, we are opposed to God and his authority in our life. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages or the consequences of sin is death. But the free gift, this is a free gift to anybody who will take it, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Peace to those with whom God is pleased. And God's favor or God's pleasure is on those who receive his son by faith. A free gift to anyone offered to all people, but you have to accept it. How do we have peace with God? Sticking with Romans, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only because of what Jesus has done we can possibly have peace with God. The problem with this, that people have a hard time hearing this message is because they don't feel that they're at war with God, but they are. Non-religious people or irreligious people are at war with God. They're at war with God overtly because they overtly assert their independence from God and they say, say things like, well, I'll do what I want to do and no, you know, no God, my God isn't like this. My God is like this and I'll do whatever makes me happy. I'll make the choices about. They just overtly assert their independence. But, but it gets trickier than that. Even religious people covertly assert their independence from God. You see, religious people get caught up in, hey, I'm doing all these things that I think God wants me to do, and because I do all these things, God owes me, and I'm gonna follow all these rules because then God is forced to bless me, and then I'm expecting him to bless me with whatever I want, so I'm gonna get what I want, and what you want really isn't God. It's just whatever your flesh wants. We're just using God to get what we want. So irreligious people and religious people both often assert their independence from God. They just don't always realize it. No matter who we are before trusting in Jesus, we are at war with God because that's what God's telling us. We're at war against his authority in our life. So how do we change that? We repent. Repent means that we're broken. Repent means that, first of all, we admit our sin. We admit our wrongs against God. And almost everybody can get this, you know, yeah, I've done wrong. Occasionally, I'll run into some people, I've never done anything wrong. What? You, know, you can just start listing the Ten Commandments like, whoops, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, you know, everyone, you know, right down the line. First, we have to admit our sin, but that's not enough. Secondly, we must come to the understanding that God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows everything about us, every motive we've ever had, every thought. 
God knows us and loves us, and he offers forgiveness. But the forgiveness is not only admitting that we need forgiveness, it's also changing our mind about God. That's what repentance is. Changing our mind about us and God. Oh, he, I deserve hell and separation, but he, Jesus came to die for my sins so that, he, that if I ask in faith, he'll forgive me and those sins, past, present, and future are gone and I get to be with God in heaven forever and it's nothing I've done. All the work's been done by Jesus. Repentance is changing our mind to put our trust in Jesus, but then that change of mind will lead us to actions in our life, a changed life. So if we hear well, fear not, hear well, if we hear well, then we can make peace, and if we make peace, we'll experience change. That's what happened to the shepherds 2,000 years ago. Verse 15 continues, when the angels had gone away from them in, into heaven, so angels leave the shepherds, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. You see, the shepherds respond with action not only to go investigate, is this true? But then the shepherds, something changed within them that they started telling everybody, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the one. You know, we might wonder what Mary's thinking during all this, and Luke tells us that too. Verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. And we see that their life continued to be changed after this event. And the question is, are you hearing well the real message of Christmas today? And if you are, then have you made peace with God, which only comes through putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross? And if you're wondering about that, let me help you, because if you've made peace with God, it will show up in your life. You'll experience change. And if you think, well, I think I became a Christian like 10 years ago, but nothing's, nothing's changed in your life. You think about things the same exact way. You probably haven't made peace with God. You probably haven't really trusted him. Because putting our trust, our faith in Jesus comes with a desire to follow him. You don't have to change your life before you do it. But once you put your faith in Christ, you'll desire to do it. And then it will show up in your life. And so we're getting ready to, we, we got another song for you. And we're going to close this service. But I don't want to close without you acknowledging that if you walked in here without a relationship with Jesus, that you can change that today. And so it's faith 
in Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. That's what salvation is. Salvation from what? Salvation from, from the punishment that we deserve, separation from God. And so if you don't know where you were spiritually before you came in here, or you knew that you weren't a believer, now's the time that you can change that. Put your faith in him. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And and we call it the sinner's prayer. It's usually the way we approach God. But I want to make sure you understand, it's not a certain set of words that saves us. It's the heart behind the expression. It's the faith in our heart that's behind what we're saying that saves us, that makes us a child of God, that causes us to become a believer, a follower. And so let's all bow our heads. And I'm a, if you're not sure where you're at, if you're not sure you've ever trusted Christ for your salvation, if you've never asked it for forgiveness, then I want to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to say this out loud. God knows your every thought. You can say this silently, God, or you can put this in your own words. But something like this. Father God in heaven, I know that I've sinned against you. And I know there's punishment for that sin. But Father, I have also come to realize that you know me and you love me. And Jesus died for my personal sins. And God, based on what Jesus has done, I'm asking you for forgiveness. And I'm also asking you to come into my life and help me to follow you out of gratitude. God, thank you for loving me. In Christ's name. While our heads are still bowed, I think it's important when you make this decision, it kind of makes it, it helps you remember this decision just to acknowledge it to somebody. So I'd encourage you to tell somebody. But I want you to start this way. I'd like you to tell me. And so people have their heads bowed. And so now I'm just asking, if you have prayed that prayer, and for the first, as far as you know, for the first time, as far as you know, first time you're really trusting in Christ, that you're understanding this whole message. I'd like you to raise your hand and kind of make eye contact with me and then just put it down. I'm not going to ask you to do you know, anything else that's going to embarrass you. Just put your hand up. And I want to start with the auditorium toward Smith Road, you know. If you prayed that prayer, as far as you know, for the first time today, I'd just like you to lift your hand up just for a few seconds, but make eye contact with me. Let me see you and then put it back down. So lift it up. Anyone? See see both of you right there. Three of you right there. I see you too. Lift it up. Let me spot you and then put it back down. And then here, this other side. The right, for for you guys, the right hand side. I see you right there, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Lift your hand up. Let me see you. Put it down. Let me make eye contact with you just so I know you're there. Just put it up. And back down. Thanks. You can look up. I want to thank you for being here with us today. Uh, There's one more thing before we close in a song is... If you raised your head or, or raise your hand or, or maybe you are afraid to raise your hand, um, you can tell us in a different way. Really, it's an even better way. You can text uh, to this number 
97,000, 97,000. You can just grab your phone, text 97,000. And then there's this weird thing I want you to text, which is yes, Fremont with no space. Yes, Fremont. And uh, that just means you're saying yes to God and you're doing it here at the Fremont campus. Yes, Fremont. If you do that, then you'll get a response from us that'll say, hey, thanks for letting us know. And then you'll have an opportunity to put your name and address down. If you put your contact, you don't have to do this, I'm just saying, but if you would do this, we would like you to. If you do this, we will, on Tuesday, we will mail you some resources that will help you get started in the Christian life. We'll mail you a book on, you know, why, why do we trust the Bible and how do we know and what about science and what about evolution, what about all these things. We'll just mail you some resources like that, but this is only for people, and it's free, but only for people who are making this decision today. So text that, let that know. And, and we're going to stay seated for the beginning of this next song. Let me just pray a little bit here. Lord, thanks for the day. Help us to praise your name. We thank you for the miraculous birth at Christmas time. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, no matter who we are, that you love us and you want a relationship with us, and you made that possible through Jesus. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>